Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. This is Nehemiah 2, 17 through 18. Um, When I'm finished, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, to which you can reply, thanks be to God. Nehemiah 2, 17 through 18 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me, And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Um, Today is Vision Sunday. I love Vision Sunday. Um, Vision Sunday is about, it's about getting clarity, focus. And the goal of today, I guess just to put it uh, in a nutshell, would be that when you leave here, you're saying what they said to Nehemiah, let us rise up and build, and that you would be strengthening your hands for the good work that God has called this church to. Um, So I'm going to be just sharing what the vision that God has given to us is for New King. And so um, there's going to be some real personal application. There's going to be chances for you to think through, am am, am I living this out or have I just sort of been going through the motions? Um, And so I want you to prepare your heart for that. Prepare your heart to do a little bit of self-reflection, Prepare your heart to to hear from the Lord and to assess your life and to make any changes that the Lord might be prompting you to make. Um, Before we jump in, uh, I want to um, I want to pray for us and then and then we'll dig into this passage. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Oh, for the the songs that we've sung, Lord, and for the sound of your church, uh, our voices rising as one before the throne. God, what a privilege it is to be counted among your people, to be one of yours, to be rescued, redeemed, taken out of the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of your beloved Son. What a privilege, God. Now we ask today, would you meet with us right now? Would you speak to us through your word? Holy Spirit, would you make, would you make adjustments in our lives so that we can bring you the glory that you deserve? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So vision is very important. Vision is very important. Vision takes a, a group of people. It, it takes their... their um, you know, different energy and resources and time, and it, and it focuses them on a single goal, in a, in a single direction. Um, if we try to have an impact 
everywhere will end up having very little impact anywhere. And so vision is a solution to that. It's, it's to say this is what we as a people have determined to do that the Lord has, has led us to do so that we can have a greater impact. And we see this in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an incredible story of God giving, birthing a vision in an individual in Nehemiah and then him going and casting that vision and then God using this group of people, this small group of people who, who then focus their efforts toward a goal and they do something that seems impossible. They rebuild the walls around Jerusalem in just 52 days. It's an incredible story. But vision always begins with the problem that you're trying to solve. Look at this passage with me in Nehemiah uh, in ver- chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. So vision is, is, a, is a way of solving a problem. And so vision must always begin with the problem. Um, if we take a, a look around today, we look at the world that we're living in today, it's not hard for us to see the trouble we're in. Right? We, we see that fear and anxiety and depression are at all-time highs right now. Our nation is divided, divided racially, divided uh, politically. The church is divided in many ways. We see um, a war on truth today. Um, the truths that are self-evident, the truths that are scriptural, we see... We see pressure um, to, to conform to certain beliefs and the pressure on Christians to lay down the truth and to agree with what the world says is right and wrong and true. And more and more Christians are being painted as the enemy by the cultural elites and, and are tr- trying, to be, they're trying to silence believers, Christians. Um, we live in one of the most... Um, one of the most unchurched, most post-Christian places in our nation, Vermont, is only 3%, um, only 3% of Vermonters claim to be Bible-believing Christians. Uh, a recent Barna study showed that Burlington, Vermont, is the fourth most post-Christian city in America. Um, and th- this is it's easy for us to look around, to go to our workplaces, to have conversations with our neighbors or our friends, and to see the trouble we're in. But I'm here to tell you today there is a, there is a solution, there is an answer to this problem. The problem, you see, um, is sin. The problem, when it is all boiled down, is that we have turned our backs on our Creator. That's the problem. I mean, that is the root problem beneath every problem, is that we have turned our backs on our Creator. We have rejected and ignored God in the world that He created. And so, the good news, though, is that there is a solution to this, and His name is Jesus. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to deal with this, our greatest problem, the problem beneath every problem. Jesus transforms lives. Jesus offers us forgiveness for our offenses against a holy God. He offers us reconciliation with our Creator. And then He gives us His Spirit so that we can live brand new lives, transformed lives. We come under His authority. We let Him lead and guide and instruct. And this transforms lives. And when we transform lives, we change the world. This is why our mission here at New King is to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. Because we know He is the answer. He is the solution to the problem, to the trouble we are in in our world. So, Nehemiah begins with the problem. You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. And then he's going to cast vision. He is going to, he is going to suggest the solution. He says, Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And then what you see after his vision casting is this response. He says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king that had been spoken to me. We're going to get into that too. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. What they're saying here is we recognize Nehemiah can't do this. I can't do this. But we can do this together. Let us rise up and build. This confidence that they could do this together comes out of what Nehemiah said right before that. I told them of the good hand of the Lord, how it was, of my God, how it was upon me. They saw that God was behind it, and they said, if God is in this, then together we can get this done. This is my hope for this morning. My hope is that when you hear the vision that the Lord has given us for this church and you see how God's hand has been upon this, that you will say collectively, let us rise up and build. Let's commit to one another and to this work to seeing it through. That is my hope. So they commit to this. They say, we'll do this. And when they said, we'll do this, what they were saying was, I will commit to my part. I'll do my part. I won't let my part fall through the cracks. I'll do my part, no more, no less. And if they would all do that, then the wall would be built. And this is what we see when we start reading about the building of the wall in chapter 3. If you look down to chapter 3, it says, Then... Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, 
Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams. And on and on and on it goes. Each person committing to do their part fully and completely. And so they were able to build the wall. So the question that I hope will begin to rise up in you as you sit there in your seat and listen this morning is, how do I build my part of the wall? How do I build my part of the wall? Well, it's actually fairly simple. Um, I want to start out by saying we, we have four values here at New King. And I'm going to go through those. Jesus, hospitality, depth, and multiplication. We're going to go through these values. And these values are meant to keep us true to our mission to helping as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. And, and I, I want to show you how, if you will commit to these values, you and your family, and you will, you will commit to these, then you will see, I believe, how this will be, uh, this will all work together for us to build this wall, so to speak. This will help you do your part. So let's start by looking at the first value. Our first value is Jesus. First value is Jesus. Now, when we say our first value is Jesus, what we're really trying to get at here is we want each and every person to have an intimate friendship with Jesus, an intimate relationship with Jesus. Uh, one of the places that we point to for this value is in the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. And they are hosting Jesus. Martha's hosting Jesus in her house. And she's busy serving Jesus. She's working in the kitchen. She's doing a lot for Jesus. And her sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching. And Martha comes into the room upset with Mary. And she says, Jesus... Tell her to get up and help me. <laughs> and Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good portion. Your sister is actually doing the better thing, the one thing needed. How is it that Jesus could boil it down to such simplicity that he would say, one thing is needed? What Jesus is saying is that I do it all through you. It's the same thing that he's saying in his conversation with the disciples in the upper room, the Last Supper in John 15. If you will abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. So this first value of Jesus is about, it's about intimacy, it's about abiding, it's about walking in step with him. This is where the power comes from to live the Christian life, to make any difference in the world. It's got to flow out of intimacy with Jesus, communion with him. And so 
This is, when you think about our value of Jesus, I want you to think about walking with him. I want you to think about continual awareness of him, continual prayer throughout your day. I want you to think about a clear conscience, because if you don't fight for a clear conscience, it will rob you of intimacy with Jesus. You can be in the Word every day. You can be coming to church every Sunday. You can be going through all the motions. You can be at community group. You can be serving. If you don't have a clear conscience, you will have no intimacy with Jesus. And so this value is about closeness with him. It's about him abiding in you, you in him, and he bears the fruit. So as you assess your life, I want you just to ask yourself some good probing questions. Have I been lukewarm lately? Has my prayer life dwindled? All right, let's go on to our second value. Our second value is hospitality. Hospitality. In Hebrews 13 and verse 2, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some have uh, entertained angels when they've done this, being unaware of it. And that's specifically referring to Genesis 18, the story of Abraham, where Abraham's standing out the, at the door of his tent, and these strangers come by, two angels. It's actually two angels and and the Lord, they come walking up. He doesn't know that. He just sees three strangers. And what does he do? He runs out to meet them. He, he, he sprints out there. And he says, let me give you something to eat. He has, he has an animal killed so he can cook meat. He, has, he, he asks Sarah, will you make some bread? So he is going out of his way. He, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's blessing them. He is sacrificially blessing them. It costing him something. And I want you to see the mindset that is needed in order for this to happen. This kind of this is hospitality. We might narrow hospitality to think about only having people into our homes, but it's so much bigger than that. It is so much bigger. In fact, think about this. Jesus didn't have a home, but did he show perfect hospitality? Yes. Yes. Hospitality is a mindset. It is a heart to pour yourself out for the good of others, to bless, to serve. And the, the, the thing that I love about the story of Abraham is Abraham is looking for this opportunity. And behind that, I believe, is a belief that God, was, God is sovereign. And so no one who passes by my way is an accident. Imagine if you lived your life that way. Imagine if we saw through that lens. There are no accidents. There are no interruptions. Only divine appointments. Imagine if you went into your workplace and you, you said... These, these people, the ones that I'm actually living around, those are the ones that God has called me to bless. Not some figurative person out there, not some... No, no, no. God has brought people around you into your life sovereignly because he wants you to be a blessing to them. And this is... What we want, when we talk about hospitality, what we mean is that we want to be a church that loves 
the, the real people, the actual people that are around us. We want to be a church that pours ourselves out. And in doing so, we will be an aroma of life to some. So, hospitality. Our third value is depth. Our third value is depth. So, what this is about is, essentially, it's about God's Word. Um, in John 17, 17, Jesus prayed that the Father would sanctify, he says, Father, sanctify them, he's talking about his disciples, in truth, your word is truth. The word of God sanctifies us when we get it in us. And so what this, this value of depth I think about it in two different ways. I think about it, what that means for us as a, as a preaching, teaching team. What that means for us is that we will not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Same thing Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. We, we, will, we promise, our commitment to you is that we will preach whatever the word says, even if it's wildly unpopular. Because what God says about things is really the only thing that matters. Not what we think. And so that's what it means. This, what this value of depth kind of means for us as a leadership team. But what does it mean for you? Well, um, what, if you look around you, you will notice that we are surrounded by a culture that's obsessed with hollow, empty soul-shriveling, mind-numbing entertainment. Pettiness. Pettiness. And what that produces is it produces shallowness, a shallowness of soul, an inability to feel what ought to be felt, right? To be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It produces it produces souls with no substance, no weight. And the result is that people are blown around by every wind of doctrine or every news story that comes out or every cultural trend. We've got to be a people of weight and substance. And if we will be that kind of a person, the world will take notice. So how do we do that? Well, we like to say that a depth of study in God's Word produces a depth of soul. If, if we just skim the surface of the Word of God, then we will remain shallow disciples. But if we commit to dig, to know it, to get it in us, to fill ourselves with this Word, it will transform us. It will make us a people of substance and depth. And so... That's what this value of depth is about. It's about a commitment to dig deep into the Word of God so that you can become a person of depth. And so here are some good things for you to think through, to self-assess. What are you feeding your soul with? What are you feeding your soul with? Are you, are you feeding your soul with the junk food that the world's handing you, whatever it hands through a screen? 
Or are you intentionally going and feasting upon the sustaining and satisfying word of God? This book is good food for your soul. And so think through, what are you letting in your eye gate into your soul? What are you letting into your ear gate into your soul? What are you feeding on? Fourth value is multiplication. Multiplication. This value is based on Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where Jesus commissions his disciples. And, and when he commissions them, he tells them, go and make disciples. What he is saying is, I have developed you into disciples. Now I want you to go do more of that. I want you to go replicate what we did. Make more of you. <laughs> Multiply yourselves. And we believe this is the calling of every Christian to go and make disciples. This, this value is about wanting to see God's kingdom advance, wanting to see the darkness pushed back, wanting to see upside-down lives get flipped right side up. This is a value about us asking personal questions like, am I leading anyone to find or follow Jesus? Who am I intentionally praying for, pursuing, meeting with, talking with? We must all own this mission to multiply, to make disciples. And I would argue that if you are living out these first three values, if you are experiencing intimacy with Jesus, you're walking with him daily, if you are looking to be a blessing, to be an aroma of Christ to people wherever you are, and you're living a lifestyle of hospitality, you're like Abraham, you're running at the opportunity to bless somebody. And if you are digging deep into the word, you're studying it, you're feasting on it, this fourth value is the most natural thing in the world if you're doing those three. It will be the most natural thing in the world. So, I would say, don't work through these values backwards. <laughs> they're in the order that they're in intentionally. Begin with intimacy with Christ and with blessing to others and with depth of study. And then, and then you, will, you will be able to multiply. We cannot multiply something that we are not. We can't, we can't make disciples of who we wish we were. We actually multiply who we are. <laughs> and so, if we will live out these first three values, then we will naturally begin to look for the ways that we can lead others to find and follow Jesus. Now, if, if we do this, so those are our four values. If we do this, what will happen is that churches will be planted. And I'll explain. So 
how do you plant a church? You go to a place and you make disciples. You don't, you don't plant a church in order to make disciples. You make disciples and then a church happens. <laughs> That's what church planting is. We call it church planting. What we're really saying is disciple making in a place. And so what, what will happen is that we will be, if we're living out these values, we're going to be looking to the places where people don't have access to a good church. They don't have access to the preaching of the word. And we will be going to those places to start healthy churches, to make disciples and start healthy churches in those places. And so this is our vision. I've, I've given you our Our mission is to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. Then our values keep us true to that mission, these four values, Jesus, hospitality, depth, multiplication. And then this is our vision. And vision is like when we look down the road, what do we see God doing? Big picture with New King Church. Or another way of thinking about it is one of these days when New King Church dies, it will. All churches do. What do we want the legacy to be at our funeral? When people look back and say, this is what that church did, what do we want that legacy to be? We believe that what God has led us to is we want to be a church planting church. We want to plant churches in the least reached parts of Vermont, of New England, and of the globe. And we believe this is the good work that God is calling us to. Um, So, look at Nehemiah 2 again. Nehemiah 2. Now we're getting to that little section in verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. So, intermingled in this vision-casting meeting that Nehemiah has with the people of Jerusalem, he shares with them, there's a good bit that's already happened at this point in the book. I'm sorry, I haven't had time to dig really deep into it. But, but God has shown Nehemiah incredible favor to get him to where he is. And so he's sharing that with the people of Jerusalem. He's telling them this is the evidence that God is, is behind this thing. So I want to just briefly do that for us. Um, so this is, if you just look around you, this church has only existed for four years. Just, I mean, God has given us, God has built this church. He's given us a property that we own, that we own. He gave it to us with three buildings on it and said, use this for my glory. He, he, in the last 12 months, we've baptized 24 people. 24 people. The Lord is bringing people into the kingdom and, and lives are being transformed for all of eternity. And so our first focus, you can go to the next uh, slide. Our first focus is Chittenden County. That's what we've been kind of focusing on for these first years is just 
building New King Church, getting New King Church established. And, and, the, and the vision has been, let's try and just reach Chittenden County. But God, God has taken us beyond Chittenden County. So go to, the, go to the next slide. A couple of weeks ago, we sent out Redeemer Church. And they went up to St. Albans, and their focus is Franklin County. And so because, because God is good and he's faithful and he answers prayer, we're able to send out our first church planting team to Vermont. Uh, yeah, praise the Lord. And so, and so they are, they're having church this morning. I mean, it's incredible. God is, God is doing this. And then, and then many of you know we have future plans. We're dreaming and planning, and specifically Aaron and Jenna and a few others planning with them and dreaming with them to go to Montpelier to plant a church there to reach Washington County. So God is, God is doing this. He is helping us to plant churches here in Vermont, in the least reached places of Vermont where they are needed. But our vision extends beyond Vermont. It extends beyond even New England. And we want to plant churches in the least reached parts of the globe as well. And so I want to introduce you to a people group that our church is adopting. If you haven't yet heard of this people group, I want to introduce you to them. They are called the, the Uyghur. And so we've got some pictures. I just It's good to put a face uh, to a name. These are Uyghur people. So um, Go ahead. They live in Central Asia. And they are an unreached people group. They are unreached. What does that mean that they are unreached? To be unreached means that you have no access to the gospel, that you do not have Bibles that you do not have Christians around you, that you do not have churches that you can go to. That's what it means to be unreached. Vermont is, Vermont is not very reached, but it isn't an unreached people. Unreached people groups, um, what, do they, what do they need? They need to hear about the good news of Jesus. And how will they hear? Unless someone preaches to them. And how will somebody preach unless they are sent? And so we, our church, uh, sent out and supports a family that is focused on this people group that's focused on planting churches among this people group. Um, why, why are they unreached? I want to give you some facts about the Uyghur. Um, so the Uyghur live primarily in the Xinjiang. I always say it wrong. Xinjiang. I don't know. I'm not good. Okay. Uh, province. <laughs> Um, there are somewhere between 12 and 13 million Uyghur, and 0.01% of the Uyghur people are evangelical Christians, um, out of 13, nearly 13 million. 
Um, why are they unreached? Why are they unreached? There's always a reason for a people group to be unreached, and it's because it's, because it's difficult to get the gospel to them. There are certain barriers that must be overcome. So um, some of those barriers are the Uyghur people, um, they have their own unique language that, that must be learned, and um, no, no Bible, no full Bible written in that language. Um, geography is, is a barrier. Where they're located has historically been a barrier. Um, their religion. So they are Islamic people. So that is a barrier. Um, the, the point that I want to make is that it's, it's hard to go to unreached peoples. But it is worth it. And there is a promise. The Lord, the Lord has promised us that around the throne in heaven, every nation and tribe and tongue will worship the King. So let's look again at the end of this passage, Nehemiah 2. Let's look at their response. They said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So, I want to, I want to ask you again. You've heard the problem. You've heard the solution, the, the vision the Lord has given us as a church, what he's called us to focus on. How do you respond to that? Will you, will you look at this and say, yes, I want to take part in this. I want to be a part of the us that rises up to do this. And if so, then I want to encourage you to strengthen your hands for this good work. And, and very practically, to work through these values. To ask yourself this week, to ask your family this week, how are we doing on these things? How is our intimacy with Jesus? Are we looking to sacrificially love and bless the people that God brings into our lives? How is our depth of study? Has it gotten shallow? And are we seeking to make disciples? I want to give you two ways that you can respond this morning as we kind of wrap this up. The first way that this is for everyone in the room, okay? This is for all of us. Let's pray for a fresh passion for the advancement of God's kingdom. Let's just pray that God would, would fill us with a fresh passion. Passion is the fuel of your life. When you look back on your life and you see what you spent your time and energy on, it will tell you what you were passionate about. Your passions are what are driving you. And so if we want to be a people that are committed to seeing the kingdom of God advance, 
then, then we must be passionate about that. So that's our, first, that's our first way of responding, and we all should pray for a fresh passion for God's kingdom to advance. The second one is for some of you. Some of you have already had this mind shift, but some of you not yet, and I just want to I want to challenge those of you who have not yet had this mindset. I want to challenge you to shift in your thinking from a consumer to a contributor. And what that looks like is in your heart, in your mind, and with your mouth, you, you don't say, I go to New King. You say, I'm a part of New King. I'm a part of that. It's it's my church that I help with. That's the shift in our minds from consumer to contributor. And I hope that many of you will have that mind shift today. That, that hearing this, you will say, yeah, I'm ready to strengthen my hands for this good work. One of the things that we have seen that is the a great catalyst in, in doing this, in beginning to shift in your mindset from consumer to contributor is when people begin to serve in different ways, suddenly that shift happens. And the reason is because it's Jesus taught where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. And that could be your finances. But for many of us, that's, that's our time. That's like our, great, that's like our greatest treasure, our time. And so and really and truly, most of the serve opportunities that we have at this church don't even, don't even ask that much time, but it's still your time. And so even just as you begin to give a little bit of it, what you find is your heart follows. So a little bit later, we're going to give you the opportunity to join, join in um, what we're doing here at New King by Serving. And, and what you'll find if you do this is that your, your relationships will go deeper. Um, your, your love for this church and what God is doing in this church will go deeper. So let me wrap this up. Um, final exhortation here. God does not need a megachurch to change the world. He doesn't. In fact, when he started this whole thing, he rounded up a small group, a ragtag small group. And, and before long, people were saying, those, those guys, they're, they're turning the world upside down. And what was really happening was they were turning the world right side up. God can do that through us. He can do that through us if we will just be willing. So let's pray that he would do that. Father, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about our sufficiency. It's not about our hopes or dreams. It's about you. It's about what you want done in the world. It is about you taking weak vessels and pouring your power 
and your life through those vessels. It is about your son, Jesus Christ, being known and exalted and praised. It is about the name of Jesus being on the lips of people that have never met him. It is about unreached people groups having churches, Bible studies, and Christian fellowship. It is about the reconciliation of enemies to God. Father, help us to see it. Help us to see the big picture. Help us not to get so wrapped up in our little lives that we miss your global purposes to expand your kingdom and to get glory, the glory that you're due. Lord, would you do something in our hearts today that would make us willing to change the way we're living, to to lay our lives down for your kingdom, for your glory, for the fame of Jesus, and for the sake of those that do not know him. And God, would you unite our hearts together Would you unite our hearts together around this mission to help as many people as possible find and follow your son? It's in his name we pray. Amen.